Welcome to Shit Talk Fridays, a podcast where we talk about all things lifestyle and relationships with a splash of controversy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Happy Friday. I'm Gina. And I'm Evo. And tonight we are drinking for Friday. We are drinking something that is a kind of like an OG for us. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, it's just straight tequila on the rocks because honestly, we have tried some other drinks on the show that have left us uh, very bubbly and we want to stay away from anything. I actually read in an article that said if you want to prevent like burping or gurgling, you should just drink things that don't like really have any flavor or like too much color in them. Or we should probably like experiment with the drinks prior to going on the show because what we've been doing is we've just been like like finding some drinks and like hey that looks great let's try that and we'll get it on the show and we'll try it and all of a sudden we're just like bad idea that's not good and then i'm really i'm listening to the audio like oh my god i could hear myself swallowing that stuff (laughs) yeah for real Um, not good so anyway back to the classics right yeah so it's friday let's get our sip on and cheers 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 my guy And let me tell you, I never thought that there would come a day in my life where I would be drinking straight tequila. But this tequila. When it's good, it's good. Has such a beautiful flavor. I feel like I'm drinking like a side of chocolate with it. It's weird. Those Some of the notes that it has in it. I'm not going to tell anybody what it is because we're trying to get paid. Yeah, for real. But it does have definitely like a smooth and uh, sweet finish to it, which makes it really tasty. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So for our show tonight, we have a Whopper for you. Yeah, right? And I say Whopper because the topic that Evo and I have decided to discuss is about drug addiction. Yes, we have our our guest uh, tonight is uh, (laughs) D-Rugs. If any of of you have hung out with uh, D-Rugs, we're going to talk about him tonight. So... The reason why we decided to talk about drug addiction is because this topic hits very close to home for Evo and I on different ends of the spectrum. And last week we were talking about being able to make a commitment and how you can be successful in that journey. And it got me thinking about when someone decides to stop abusing drugs, they're making a commitment to become clean. Right, yeah. And it made me think about all of the things that a person has to go through to become clean or become rehabilitated once they have abused drugs. And you and I being on such a different ends of the spectrum when it comes to drug addiction, I thought it would be great for us to talk about it from our different perspectives and... I'm talking about it from the perspective of a victim. I was raised by two parents that were both addicts. Uh, My dad was a functioning addict and my mom was the addict that went in and out of rehab and um, never really got on her feet to be like 100% clean. I no longer have a relationship with my mother, so I really don't know where she is with that now. But for a very long time, it was kind of like on again, off again. And Evo, I'll let him tell you what his uh, um, side of it I is. I was the uh, the user and abuser. <laughs> so, <laughs> Put it so nicely. Uh, yeah, you know, I um, I definitely was a uh, 
a functioning social user for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, things escalated trying this and trying that and everything was very much had anything very much well under control for a long time yeah um and then i ended up trying something that you know that was the one that knocked me off my horse and it really kind of like took things took my life in a in a dark place and uh yeah yeah we're gonna so we're gonna talk about that we're gonna get into yeah. that in a little bit we wrote a song about it like to hear, like here, to it hear it, here it go and um <laughs> For a long time, I had such such anger and such hatred towards what I felt like was the glorification of rehabilitated drug addicts. And I know that when I say that, people are probably like, what the fuck does she mean by that? And I'm going to explain. So when I was a young girl and I watched my mother go in and out of rehab several times. I felt like there was this aspect of rehab that basically rewarded a person for reaching certain steps throughout their journey in rehab or getting clean. So for anybody that is uh, doesn't know anything about NA or, or AA, every so often, every so like X amount of days or months or years, the addict will receive some sort of like token of some sort that will acknowledge how how long they've been clean for and that's like a milestone i remember seeing them as a young kid thinking like wow my my mom's going to this program and getting a reward for being clean she's getting a reward for doing what she should be doing i don't understand the psychology behind that and it and it made me really have a hatred towards what I felt like was a person being glorified for living a clean life. And on the flip side of that, me being the person that was on the receiving end of her drug addiction that um, I experienced some really deep trauma. I thought to myself when I was younger and still, you know, later on in my life, where is the focus for the people that were victimized by the drug addicts? Because let me tell you, <laughs> the help that I could have used when I was little, when I was younger, to really talk out these traumatic experiences that I went through would have been so helpful in my life. Because here I am now in my 40s still processing a lot of this trauma. Yeah, Drake, uh, Drake said it best. Though, that they ain't got no awards for that. Yeah. And um, even though they should, yeah, there should be something. So as my life like played out, you know, I watched a lot of things on TV. I heard it on radio, read it in magazines and books. What I considered the glorification of someone being rehabilitated. And it wasn't until I watched Euphoria in 2019 and if you're not familiar with the show Euphoria, it's on HBO and uh, it stars Zendaya and it tells a story. There, there's actually multiple stories that are happening in the show. But since Zendaya is the lead actress, it follows her storyline the closest. And she is a drug addict. There is one scene in particular that struck me so hard. It rocked me to my core. 
And it was a scene where the character Rue, played by Zendaya, is leaving an NA meeting and she has reached a milestone. She has received like her first little token of like, I'm 30 days clean. And as she's walking out, she's stopped by a, another person that attends the NA meetings who is like a sponsor and his name is Ali. And, you know, he kind of starts off the conversation very lighthearted, like, yo, young blood, what's up? How you, you know? And she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. She's trying to blow him off. And he kind of like works his way into a portion of the conversation where he says, so who found you? And she was like, what do you mean? And he repeated himself and he was like, who found you? And at that very moment is when I realized that he was talking about who found you when you overdosed on drugs? And the connection that that made for me was so strong because I at one time found my mother, um, she had tried to commit suicide and overdosed on pills. Mm. And I was the one that found her. And I was seven years old. It's tough. <clears throat> it's real tough. So... You know, she kind of like still kind of brushes it off. Uh, but she then tells him it was my sister. And the reason why he's kind of like digging at her is because he knows that she went to that N.A. meeting, got her little little her little token of 30 days clean. And she went to that meeting high on drugs. And he basically gets to the point of saying the uh, he couldn't believe the audacity that she had to come to that meeting high and not understand the ramifications of her behavior, especially that at one point in her drug addiction journey, her little sister found her overdosed in the room. And he then says to her, do you understand what that is going to do to that girl's life? Yeah. She's going to have to carry that for the rest of her life. And that was the first time that I felt like I saw on screen my story being told. It was the first time that the victim was being recognized and what a person's drug addiction could do to another person. Because I feel like nobody ever really talks about that. People later on in their lives talk about trauma. And they talk about the things that may have happened to them and how they deal and, and, how, and how they have dealt with them. But I don't feel like it's being talked about from the other end. You know, I always feel like when I watch movies, it's always like the drug addict and, you know, what yeah. the drug addict did. But it's never about like really like the people, the, the people that they affect. Yeah. You know, and the collateral damage that they create. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, re I remember vividly when that show came out, hmm. you watched it. Uh, we, tr we started to watch together, but then... Um, I mm -hmm. wasn't available. I, yeah, we watched. I feel like we watched the first episode together. I really wasn't into it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not usually into like shows about drug usage and things like that because I just, you know, being that I was in that world, I feel like a lot of it is fluffed. There's a lot of Hollywood behind it, and I feel like it, it loses it loses uh, some of some of its originality uh, because I just really know how raw it can be, and I just you know so like I just it's hard for me to connect with it. Um, so I lost interest in the show. I mean, you kept watching it. And then I remember me coming home one day and you were just like emotionally like. It was that episode. Yeah. You were emotionally like a mess. I was destroyed. And, you know, you were telling me about the show and I'm like, oh, well, we should watch it. And you were like, no, I can't even watch this with you. Like, yeah. and I, when we like, 
we watch everything together. Correct. That was the first time you told me that you couldn't watch something with me. Yeah. And I had a hard time even understanding, you know, why. Until I went back and I watched the show myself. Yeah. And really enjoyed it, too. Like, I was totally wrong about the show. It was fucking yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I walked away from that show. I was like, Zendaya's going to get a fucking Emmy yeah. for this. And she ended up getting yeah. one. It was really good. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I remember that scene. And then I finally could understand why it is that you were feeling the way that you were feeling. You know, you and I over the years, because you yourself were an addict at one point, we've had some really deep discussions about what it is yeah. what, or what drug addiction is. Yeah, we are. We, because we have <laughs> such strong views yeah. that come from the, such, the opposite ends of the spectrum, we've had some pretty deep debates about what's what and how things work and how they affect people and, yeah, and one of terminologies the and things of like that. Well, one <laughs> of the arguments that we had repeatedly which we no longer have because i yeah. finally understand and i do too i think i have a better understanding too yeah um the argument that we had repeatedly was i used to think that people who became addicts were weak yeah that they were weak-minded yeah because in in my thought process was drug abuse is a choice and we used to go back and forth and I used to hate that it would be called a disease because in my mind, there are people that are living healthy lifestyles, being the best that they can be to their family and to their spouse and then they wake up one day and they're sick. Yeah. And they have- and it's not their choice. And it's not their choice. I used to fucking- Great hate, argument though. Yeah, I used to hate it. I used to be like, the audacity, and again, it's like, I used to feel like the audacity behind it was just- kind of like disgusting to me yeah and it wasn't until i realized that it was a choice in one perspective and it was that a person who chooses to use drugs they're making that choice but they don't choose to become an addict because right. once they're addicted it's done yeah they're they have now entered the realm of their brain being somewhat altered through the abuse that they were doing almost like unknowingly. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's not necessarily a choice, the addiction, the recreational use of the drug is a choice. And I just could not separate those two. Cause I almost kind of felt like the argument for me was like when people have this argument about God, you know, if God is so all and mighty and powerful, why does God let people suffer? You know, I always felt like it was that kind of argument. Like, what do you mean it's not a choice? This person is going out and seeking this. Mm -hmm. And it really took me some real strong soul searching to understand that there's a moment where the brain basically is just like, you no longer can live without this. And I'm going to make you know that. I, I'm yeah. like, I'm now in control. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty strange and interesting the effects that drugs and alcohol have on the brain, you know, and what that does to a person and how it consumes their life when it comes to what is pleasure. I would like for you to talk a little bit about, like, what led you to be an addict, you know, because I... I I kind of gave my, I didn't kind of, I gave my story of like what made me become the victim. Um, 
Well, like I said, uh, for a long time, I was a recreational, you know, fully functioning user. Um, oh, you know, went to work, handled my responsibilities, partied on the weekends, um, and really was just very focused, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't let those substances deter me from my responsibilities. Um, are you are you comfortable with discussing what type of substances we're talking about? Um, I mean, I, listen, the, I don't the details about what substances they were. It's not really relevant. Okay. I just um, I think that what's important is that um, I naively was using a substance um, that I didn't know much about. And I was and I used it in a way where um, it was through a friend, a close friend, mm-hmm. and introduced me, introduced it to me, introduced to me to it, mm-hmm. and um, I trusted him. I trusted him, and my first experience was a great experience. I really enjoyed it, um, and that was the dangerous part about it. You know, I'm I have an addictive personality to begin with, mm-hmm. um, so like if I find something that I that I like, I'll do it often you know and i'll do it as much as i can you know when when it's fit but still not letting it like not allowing it for me to not 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 letting it take over my life where i negate my responsibilities Mm -hmm. but this particular thing i was very susceptible to and so over the course of time I found myself, you know, doing it more and more and more and more and more uh, to the point where normal things, regular things that make people happy gave me no pleasure whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Come, I've come, I later come to find out that that's how drugs and alcohol affect the brain. When you intake a substance, it releases, your brain releases dopamine. Mm-hmm into your system which is the it's the it's the pleasure it's what you get pleasure from how you sense but when you eat something your body releases dopamine to your brain your, your dopamine receptors pick up that dopamine and you feel pleasure you mm-hmm. laugh the same thing happens anything that you do that makes you feel good right so on a normal person i'm going to use random numbers here just to kind of give you a scale of how things work on a normal person you take a drink of something and it feels good you enjoy it. That's dopamine being released into your brain and your dopamine receptors picking up that dopamine. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it releases five grams of dopamine. Mm-hmm. When you laugh, it releases 10 grams of dopamine and your receptors, they pick all that up. Something that you do that's really pleasure, like exercise or having sex, it releases 50 grams of dopamine and your receptors, they pick all that up. When you do a substance or specifically like you know drugs the dopamine that's released into your body mm-hmm. is like 500 mm-hmm. i'm well aware i've done i've done i think the one drug that i could say that does that is uh ecstasy ecstasy yeah that's that's one that really releases what's a, interesting a serious that, amount of dopamine well it releases serotonin not dopamine okay but um, I can say... F- right, you, didn't you do like a paper on this? I did. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I know. This, that's why. Um, yeah, Not I did that. a research paper on it in college. But I myself have used ecstasy, MDMA. I've used Molly, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. I've used the unpure and the pure forms. 
And I know for certain the surge of immediate like, whoa, that you get is on 1000%. Right. So for the people listening and watching, the reason I'm explaining to this is because some people may be not maybe unaware of how this works. Mm-hmm. So when you do these substances and they release a hundred like grams of a, dope, a large amount, a large amount, it's a it's a um, it's too much for your dopamine receptors. Mm-hmm. And what happens is your body says, "Okay, this is way too much. We don't need." We don't need all of these receptors to pick up all this dopamine, so mm-hmm. it starts shutting the receptors down because there's just there's just this, you know, overflow of dopamine. And what ends up happening is that when you do regular things, the things that used to make you happy or you find pleasure for, like drinking, eating, having sex, because now you have a bunch of dopamine receptors shut down, it's not as pleasurable as it used to be. You don't find pleasure in normal things like, you know, hanging, being with family, hanging out with friends, going to the movies, you know, things that make people like everyday life that make people happy. Those things don't, you don't find pleasure in them anymore. So what ends up happening is the person starts turning more and more and more to the substances to get that sensation of pleasure. Yeah. And the therefore starts, becomes their best friend. It becomes their best friend and that starts the vicious cycle. Then there's this transition, there's this period where, before somebody actually becomes addicted um they're doing it to the point where it's it's reckless and irresponsible Mm -hmm. and then there's a point where they may stop or there's a gap period and in that period their body starts to go through with what's what's called a withdrawal and that's when now they have to feed that withdrawal symptoms and that's where that's where they're addicted now because now without the substance they're chemically off balance they don't feel right and it affects them it affects them in a heavy way mm-hmm. so now they're just now they become in a vicious cycle and that's what ended up happening to, happening to me yeah i also have experienced that not through recreational drug use yeah through prescribed through prescription drugs. which is like one of the most yeah, common ways to get addicted it's, it's the the opiates, mm-hmm. which is what I was prescribed. When we had our daughter, I was prescribed Percocets because I had cesarean. But what wound up happening was I ended up getting emergency oral surgery because I wind up getting like an impacted tooth like two weeks into having our daughter. Mm-hmm. So I went from using Percocets to help for the pain from the cesarean but then got another prescription of Percocets for my tooth. I was on Percocets for like almost a month. And because I'm just not that type of person um, that will look to, for anyone that doesn't know me, I will suffer through things. Mm -hmm. I will have, I used to actually suffer from severe migraines for quite a long time and I would literally go the whole day without taking anything so I wasn't like really an avid like pill taker right I remember even like opposing taking it when the doctor gave it to me remember she was like no you need this she was right but um what wind up happening was is that like one day I was just like okay I don't need this anymore and I went to sleep that night and I wind up like almost having like 
convulsions in my sleep and um you called the doctor because you were freaking out and you're like she's this is what's happening and the doctor was like when did she stop taking this medication she's like oh she just stopped today he's and the doctor was like no 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 no. you have to wean her off of this you had to take the pills because i had just like threw them somewhere Mm -hmm. you know and you had to give me the pills in small increments for like another week yeah to like wean me off of it and i remember feeling like such a piece of shit because I was just like, I can't believe that this is what's happening to me right now. I was addicted to something with, with like, I had no idea that this was happening to me. Yeah. Um, and that is, that's how it happens. You don't, yeah. even, you don't even realize it. I think that's what helped me better understand that, that like, you know, that small blip in time where someone goes from, <laughs> that's actually really funny yeah. i'm sorry we are actually laughing because um <laughs> we are fostering a cat right now and um, we put him away in another room and somehow he got out and somehow he got out but anyway i think i know well, i mean obviously he got out he opened the door yeah because someone didn't close the door properly he is a uh, quite savvy the little guy yeah but anyway so um yeah, I think that that experience has kind of helped me with what better understand what it's like to go from using to becoming an addict. Yeah. Because when I tell you that Evo and I would go to war on yeah, this topic, it was... but I, I want you to like, you know, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I want you to like finish telling because, you know, you gave us some background on um, like how you made that transition from being like a functional recreational user to being an addict. Um, but like, can you tell us a little bit more of like how it went from you being an addict? to, I guess, you know, to the man you are today. <laughs> well, so, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, just kind of like touching back on, where how the story started i was very about my responsibilities and mm-hmm. just you know and doing what i needed to do um so once i f- found myself in the situation where i was addicted to the substance um i um i wanted out like i wanted to stop generally yeah. gen- like you know like really at the core i did but it was just like it's it was so hard to just find the will to want to keep doing like to do normal things when mm-hmm. this thing like just gave me such an immense sensation it was hard to like even want to do anything else um and so after some time of just like really it, it like wearing me down um we we met mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. you know for the second time and I want to I give a lot of credit to to seeing you that day, right? Mm-hmm. Because for me I was like so lost in where I was in my life as far as like a like I lost touch with who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. Um or who I used to be as a person that when I saw you it immediately brought back all these memories of the things I used to do and who I used to be and how I used to operate and maneuver and we went out that night. And we had such a good time. And after you dropped me off, because you picked me, <laughs> you actually picked me up. My car wasn't even like I didn't even have money to to put a gas in my car. Um, that's how down and out I was. I 
was left with this feeling that I need to get back to that. Yeah. I, I need, it was like a breath of fresh air. And so eventually I ended up going, I ended up getting incarcerated mm-hmm. throughout that time. And in that I was taking away, I was taken out of the environment that I was in, which was very important. I needed to be pulled out of that environment because it was, excuse me, the people and places and things that I was surrounding myself with that was causing me to just over and over be wrapped up in this vicious cycle. But if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, were you not going to purchase drugs? That's when you got arrested? Uh, yes. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that, mm-hmm. so that, that I ended up getting locked up. Yeah, I didn't, I, it. I just want to make clear that that you got locked up for going to purchase drugs. Like it yeah, sounded I mean, like maybe you like I don't know you <laughs> got a ticket or something. No, no, I mean, I, e- either way, like it was the whole experience of getting locked up, which then you know I, I I went away. Yeah, and I got I was I was put in an environment where I could no longer use. Mm-hmm. So I went through a, a physical cleanse. I went through a mental cleanse, and I knew going in still that I want to get back out and be with you because you reminded me of somebody who I used to be and you made me want to be that person again. Yeah. So all of those things combined were key for me wanting to like to, to get myself cleaned up. But I think that the most important part about it is that you have to be fed up. I feel like there was one thing that I used to tell myself all the time, and because that there was throughout throughout that time, I tried to stop multiple times. Mm-hmm. I'm done with this. I don't want to do it anymore. Whatever happened that night happened to be like something terrible that happened, and I just it was really bad experience, and it was all because like you know I was involving my surrounding myself with these people that I probably shouldn't be, and I told myself so many times I'm done, and maybe a day or two later, somehow. I'm wrapped up back in it again. Mm-hmm. And I would call those experiences a slap in the face. Like, cause mm-hmm. that's it's literally what it would feel like. I was like, you know, I would tell myself I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And then two days later, I'm back still feeling the same way, you know? And it's like, I got slapped in the face again. You know, this thing that I go involve myself with, it smacks me in the face. You know, it's, it doesn't turn out to be a good experience. I come out of it, you know, like rubbing myself like, damn, that wasn't good, you know? And then two days later or a couple of days later, I'm back at it again, you know? And when I'm all, it's all said and done, I'm walking out, rubbing my face again because it was just a bad experience. At any point, did you feel like um, that you thought you, not me? Like, did you ever have that mindset? At the beginning, yeah. Like, at the beginning, not, of not me. Like, I'm, I'm good. Of course, yeah. Because like I said prior, I was a functioning social user mm-hmm. for a while up until that point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I use a bunch of stuff, you know, like, you know, acid, you know, cocaine, ecstasy, ketamine, um, mescaline, weed. I mean, you know, all types of, you know, pharmaceuticals and, you know, things that, you know, like, yeah. and, and I'm mixing them and all types of stuff. Totally fine. So you you felt like you were kind of invincible. Yeah, You know what? I just felt like I knew my body. Mm-hmm. I knew myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I just felt that, you know, even under like some of the most some of the stronger things like you know the hallucinogenics that like really like you know put people out there and they're like yo that was crazy i don't want to do that again i would be fully like mentally aware of what was going on Mm -hmm. you know and totally like focused Uh, (laughs) so like 
when I started doing this, you know, I would go places, you know, and, you know, I mean, all right, let's, let's get out. I mean, it was, it was just doing a lot of coke, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Um, and I would go places and I would get some and I would see people that I knew and they'd be like, yo, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I just came to get some coke, you know? And they were like, what? Really, bro? You? Like, yo, dope, bro, don't mess with this shit. Like, this shit. I'm like, nah, not me, bro. Like, you crazy. I got this. Bro. It's just on the weekends, da, da, da. You know? And next thing I know, like, I'm now I'm, you know, I'm selling this stuff so, like, I could have it and not pay for it. And I'm basically, I'm ended up doing it every day. Yeah. You know, I'm waking up in the morning, you know, bump here. You know, like, it just part, became part of my, like, my daily routine. And I remember specifically, like, somebody seeing me and they're like, yo, bro, no, like, you can't, like, I can't believe you're here, bro, bro, stop doing this. And I'm like, nah, man, not me, bro, don't worry about me. They're like, no, you don't understand, like, this shit fucks up people's lives, you know? And I'm like, nah, not me, bro. It's, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, yes, to answer your question, I definitely did say that. And it just got to the point where I was tired of it. I was tired of it. And I just, but I just, somehow I just kept on doing it because it's such a quick high, you know? It just, it mm-hmm. comes and it goes, you know, and you're ready for another one. Yeah. You know? But I had to go through this vicious cycle of like wanting to quit so many times, but still, but relapsing and still going back, back into it that eventually um that coupled with meeting up with you again and wanting and being remembered about you know a lifestyle that i really wanted to get back to all of that together really was for me the perfect combination to get my shit together and i think that that is important i think that there has to be a a combination of things i don't i can't for me, I can't just say it was just one thing. Yeah. You know, it took a lot of different things that put together really made me want to say it's enough. Right. So help me better understand the process of why when someone goes to rehab, why they receive these little moment, these little, you know, momentums. Right, no, so I'm sorry. These little like they receive um, like these 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 key these chains. They're like they're like keychains that symbolize. They're also, they're also like coins too. Yeah, they have coins. They have they have, or they have keychains that symbolize uh, so many days of sobriety. Yeah, and like I said earlier, I I had such a disdain for these things. I I found them for me like a slap in the face. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you're getting a reward for getting clean. Made me so. It made me so angry because I, I felt like you were getting a reward for getting your life back together after you, you know, left a wake of destruction. Yeah. And so. Believe it or not, like that is key mm-hmm. to the reconstruction of the internal value that an addict has. You have to understand that when you take someone who's ingested a substance, they've altered the chemical composition of their brain, shut down dopamine receptors to where now normal things in life don't feel good anymore. And so they start pushing away the normal things that make us happy, starting with friends and family Mm -hmm. and start abusing drugs. They stop caring about the things around them and eventually stop caring about themselves, right? And so what that causes is destruction to themselves and the people around them. They destroy the the relationships. I mean, it's just 
just let's just light up you know just might as well just set off a nuke in your yeah, life you're telling me you're not telling me anything i don't know because right. i'm i'm yes I'm, I'm a product of that right so that has to be reverse engineered when you have a person that is trying to get sober the one thing that they used to turn to to make them feel good was the drug usage mm-hmm. right so now you have to make this person feel good about their sobriety. They have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm sober and that makes me feel good. And that is the, that is, that is the first brick that you want to lay in the foundation of someone who is that far gone from self-worth and valuing the people's or people around them. And so that's why that, that celebration of 30 days, 60 days, 90 days is so key because the longer they go, the greater and the, the more proud that they should feel about that because the, the, the outward result of that is they start valuing themselves mm-hmm. and then start valuing the people around them. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's really just that it's reverse engineering, you know, and I know outside from someone standing on the outside, mm-hmm. I can totally see why you would feel the way that you do and why is it that like you know even even you know friends and family go along with it you know mm-hmm. parents you know it's usually the siblings that are like the fuck like this guy screwed you over or this person screwed you over for how many years i'm the good son i'm the good you know child and you know you're over here pouring all of your resources into this one you know what i mean yeah and it, yeah, of course, and uh, you know, and rightfully so, someone should feel like some type of way about that. But what you're dealing with is someone that has like an infantile level of self worth and valuing the things and the people around them. So like, it's like, hey, good job, you know, like you would like you would do to a child. Yeah, you really have to start from the ground up and build that. I think what's interesting is that um, you said it's like a child. I was a child. Yes, you were. So yeah. I was not mentally equipped to handle what I was going through. Mm-hmm. So the same amount of effort that was put into rehabilitating my mother and my father from their addiction, the same amount of effort should have went into rehabilitating me. Because these relationships that these people will destroy, it's It's not a one-sided relationship. It takes two people to be in a relationship or multiple, you know, your friends and your family. So if you have destroyed these connections that you have with your children, your parents, your siblings, do you not think that just because the addict has Mm -hmm. or is working on rehabilitation that the other person on the other end of the destruction also needs to be re- rehabilitated. Yes. And so there's, so the funny thing is, is that the 12 steps, mm-hmm. so there's something called the 12 steps of sobriety. Um, and in the 12 step, part of this 12 steps is making amends to the people that you hurt. Oh yes. I'm very, right? I'm very so well aware the, of that, so, but so, right, that's so not what, what I'm, I'm getting at. Okay. But what I'm saying to you is that the program itself is designed to build the person up so that, it reverse engineers them as, at the person and then they go back and reverse engineer the destruction that they did with their life. That's how it's that's how it, it starts. Yeah. 
So there is a portion of it that it is dedicated towards helping somewhat the people affected around them. I think it's important Mm -hmm. for someone who hurt you Mm -hmm. through their drug abuse or alcohol abuse to come back to you sober and um, make amends, try to make amends with you about the things that they did. And yeah, for sure. I think that that's extremely valuable. But the point that I'm trying to make is that even if that person comes to make amends, that doesn't heal the trauma that I have experienced. No, it do- it doesn't. So I think that the same amount of focus should go into healing that trauma so that the two people can heal together. And that's why I had such a anger towards, mm-hmm. you know, these programs that were created. I think that they are necessary. But I think that maybe on the other end there's a lack thereof um and sure. i i feel like now as an adult in order for me to seek help for the trauma that i experienced i have to pay for it when there's these programs that are given free to addicts that at one point made a choice to abuse a drug. So do you understand my struggle with yeah. that? Like, yeah. I just feel like here I am, seven years old and younger, having no choice of what is happening to me mm-hmm. while this person is making a choice to abuse a drug and now I'm the victim of that. Yeah. So he, they are then getting these like, programs that they can enter into because they are an addict but where the where the programs for me to rehabilitate the trauma that i've experienced um and as a kid that is my brain is still developing and i'm still learning how to process emotion and feelings have you ever looked into that though i have you like do you know of their like are there are there meetings that are held for people to come together that are victims of of you know relatives or friends or mm-hmm. or you know spouses that were drug abusers um and there's other groups of people that they can talk and kind of like just let things off of their chest and kind of guide each other through because that's literally what the 12 steps is about yeah. you know it's um um it's just a bunch of people a bunch of addicts coming together and talking their way through their traumas i personally don't know of any currently i can tell you when i was younger that that was something that was never uh, at seven years old in 1987. Yeah, of course. Yeah, not <laughs> at that age. But I mean, like, you know, as you know, once you got older. Yeah. You know. uh, when I get when I got older, I still didn't have the access to mm. that type of information um, because when it was happening to me, because when I was an adult, it was I was no longer. We need a Jamie right now. I wish I could Jamie would look, look this yeah. up for us right now. Um, when I was a young child, I was at the hands of my parents. They were responsible for me. Um, And then at one point, you know, the system stepped in. And even at that point, nothing was afforded to me at that time where it was like, hey, we know that you are the direct, you know, victim of this drug abuse. These are the things that are available to you. These are the programs. These are the, you know, I think all I really got was like some in-school counseling, which was trash because a lot of the times I wasn't very truthful about what was being said because I was in in constant fear of 
being uh, kept away from my parents for a longer period of time. Because mm. at that point, I was already no longer living with them. Um, and then once I got brought back to my parents and I still continued that counseling that was given to me, um, I wasn't going to tell them what was happening because then I knew that it was a potential that I was going to get taken yeah. away again. Sure. Um, I needed therapy, not counseling, because I think that there's a distinct difference. Counseling is just like, hey, how are you? How are things? Great. Okay, go back to class. Therapy is like, let's unwrap these feelings that yeah. you have and let's dissect them one by one and understand how these feelings are affecting you now. Yeah. You know, again, my favorite term, reverse engineering. I, yeah. I just think I think that's the that's the job of a, of a therapist is to like, yeah. like you said, unwrap everything correct and then get down to the root of it and then build it up from the root up yeah i've gone to therapy and i've had that happen i remember telling my therapist a story that i experienced as a young child and i remember her face just like i could not even imagine what that is like Mm -hmm. you know to go through something like that um and then she was like so now let's talk about how that has shaped you as an adult you know, and then people will say things like, well, if that didn't happen to you, you wouldn't be the person you are today. And you know I can't fucking stand that. I'm guilty of it. I've said it to you a few times. I absolutely hate that phrase. Because you would never say that to a person that ends up down the wrong path. You would never go, oh, your parents were drug addicts? That's why you ended up this way. You know what I mean? Like, you're not... Like, people like well, to say... Wait, hang on. People like to say that to me because I turned out good. You know? They're like, oh... You know, these things happen to you for a reason. Look at you. You're great. But if I was fucked up in the game, people would be trying to find a way to get me out of the position that I, I'm in and not be telling me that I ended up there because of what happened to me. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 such a I hate that saying. And I don't think people understand. I, I know a lot of people don't take offense to that statement, but I do because I don't think that um when a person says that to me, they don't understand the amount of difficult choices that I had to make in my life to survive. But you also have to give some credit to the fact that there are some people mm-hmm. who get to where they get to in life because of the traumas that they've been through. There are some people that use that as the the driving source to project them into a direction in life. They use that. They harness that. That is the fire that drives them. Um, I will say that it is not the trauma that drives them. It is the desire to not live a trauma, traumatic life. It is the opposite. They are ambitious for something that is different. But still at the core is the experience that it is the experience that, that creates that initial motivation. It is the, it is the point in the life that they're living that makes them decide whether they want to go left or right. It's it's a fork in the road, mm-hmm. okay? Because like you said, there are people who go through what you went through and their, their life doesn't end up good, mm-hmm. right? So it's a fork in the road and they, they choose to either go left or go right, okay? Faced with what you were faced with in your life, you chose to take the right path for whatever reason. I don't know if it was the right path, but it was definitely the path that led me to where I am today. I mean, I think that your life compared to the people that uh, you grew up with, turned out pretty well. Yes, yeah, some of the people. Yeah. I will say that one of the regrets that I have 
Because, you know, people say you're supposed to live without regret. No, I have regret. I wish I would have processed a lot more emotion when I was younger. Mm, important. Huh, very important. You know? uh, because I watch our daughter and our sons do it now. And I'm so proud of them when they do it, you know, mm -hmm. because I remember me just being like, I can't cry right now because if I do, people are going to think I'm a fucking bitch. And I grew up in an area where like, you know, that was frowned upon, you know, yeah. if I felt like if I showed people that I was scared, then they would coddle me too much and they would be all over me. I just wanted people to think that I was OK, you know, yeah. even though I was fucking traumatized. I just didn't want the attention on me, so I kind of just like pushed it away. And I wish I would have processed those emotions differently. But then again, kind of faked it till you made it, huh? Yeah, I was just trying to survive. Yeah, I was just trying to survive, and um, I thought it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't until later on that I found out that it was just like a ticking in time bomb. In the short term, yeah. In, in the, the short term, it was in the, the right short thing term, to do. it yeah. put a battery in my back. <laughs> right? I was just like, yo. We're not going to talk yeah. about this right now. We're not going to talk about how I feel. I'm just going to keep I'm pressing gonna do, on. I'm just going to do what I think is right right now. Y yes. I'm mm. going to do what I need to survive and get on with my mm. life. And then, you know, maybe we'll figure out that <laughs> those feelings later on. And I honestly didn't even say to myself back then, I'll process these feelings later. Yeah. No, I just thought that I was just never going to have to deal with them. And I'd be okay. Yeah, well, the, I mean, let's, you know, lead this to say that the importance of that is self-reflecting. You know, yeah. like, throughout, when you process emotions, you process your own emotions, you take a moment to, like, understand how you feel, which in turn is self-reflection, right? You're getting to know yourself. You're getting to know how you're feeling. You're getting to know how that situation or that particular moment made you feel, yeah. you know, and what it is that you've learned about yourself. And then so when you when you take years and years and years of traumatic experiences and you put them in a box and you don't deal with them, then what you have is a box of like who you really are that you don't really know much about because you haven't processed it. Yeah. I've read um, actually a book called the happiness hypothesis and it talks about the elephant and the writer. And when people meet me, they meet the elephant. They don't meet the writer. Mm -hmm. The writer's always on the back. Mm hmm. I know the writer. Yeah, you <laughs> sure do. I I know that writer. Um, sometimes you get the elephant though. You know, but I still I know the writer. <laughs> you know, I got I got his person. I got a personal phone number. <laughs> um, but um, so that makes me think about like how I was saying that there were times that I wasn't willing to talk about what was happening in my household because I was I lived in constant fear of being taken away again. Uh, because I had been taken away for about two and a half years to go live with uh, extended family while my parents were in rehab and getting clean. And they had to jump through a couple of hoops with family services in order to get me and my little brother back. And um, I remember being brought, brought back home, and I want to say shortly after that, my mother started using it not too long after that uh my dad since that point stood clean and um i just wonder and maybe you can help me understand this like what do you think causes a person to relapse considering that we have talked about that when a person enters rehab they're basically 
re-engineered like you said right like they're being built from the ground up yeah they are they're being built from the ground up and they are being taught how how their abuse directly affects them and the people in their life and how they leave this wake of destruction on both ends Mm -hmm. and they receive all this information and they get all this like acknowledgement and all this like reward and they're like, great. And then they go out and they fucking do it again. Like, I need to like, you need to give me a little bit of understanding behind that because I have such heartache with mm-hmm. that because I, again, am one of, I am the direct victim of that where I watch my mother, I think for the first time in my life, be clean. I'm thinking things are going to be great and we're going to be okay. And to just watch her go back into it and us live that life of me hiding what was really happening and just watching her going back into that same rhythm of, you know, disappearing and, you know, not paying bills, you know, just all those things that come with addiction. And I just wonder if you can like give me a little light as to why someone may relapse. Cause I think that there's probably a multitude of reasons, but there is, there is a multitude of reasons. Um, there's a handful of them that really kind of go hand in hand. Um, and I think that they are all of them. If they're not, if they're not executed correctly, um, can lead a person to re relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so first and foremost, um, there's not enough self worth being developed within that person whether it be through an external source, a program, or people around trying to help that person, or that person themselves wanting to value themselves the way that they should. Secondly, the person hasn't had enough. Because, mm. like, you know, in, in all honesty, I think and it speaks for everything that we've done in our lives. In, 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 you know, in, in relation to things that we stopped doing is that once we had enough, we had enough. Once we've we've acquired a bad taste for it, mm-hmm. we no longer do it. Oh, yeah. I could tell you firsthand when I didn't want to do ecstasy anymore. Yeah. I was like, I don't this, want and, to and do and this. Is, this, this is what I'm this is what I'm saying. So, like. If you have a person who is still not they don't value themselves the way that they should mm-hmm. and value the people around them the way that they should and they yet still haven't had enough bad experiences in relation to the substance that is destructive to them they haven't they hadn't have enough destruction to their lives they're going to continue to destroy their lives right but why does someone destroy their why would someone destroy their own life because they don't value their own life so those things go hand in hand the the self-worth is key. The building of the self-worth is key. You have to be able to look in the mirror and say, I value this person more than I value these substances. And I've had enough. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had enough destroying my life. I'm worth more. I'm going to give myself a chance now instead of giving so much time and effort to a substance. There's also the realization that someone has to come to to say that to be able to identify that a substance is nothing without the person that the person is actually the one in control Mm -hmm. 
right? Because some people fall weak. They fall weak and, you know, to the vulnerable to the, to the pleasure sensation that they're seeking, that they're so lacking in their life, and they fall, you know, they're weak to the substance. But realizing that they're the ones in power, they're the ones in control, taking that, coupling it with self-worth, self-value, and having had enough destruction, all those together is the recipe for me that I think that really can send somebody in a different trajectory. Yeah. But any one of those departments that are lacking, and for everybody it's different, you know? For what what's enough for me may not be enough for the next person. But I feel like all of those all of those compartments have to be filled. Self-worth has to be filled, empowerment has to be filled enough destruction has to be filled i've had to ha- you have to and it's just you just you just come to the point in your life where you've had enough and that's it you're just done with it you're done with it you don't you don't and that's i think that that's what i would like to think that that's what addicts do once they move on and they never look back is because they've had enough and they found a place where they can find pleasure in normal everyday life and not need substance to do so You know, what I was thinking of when you were saying this is that um, there is this portion of that where they they have to build up their self-worth. But while that's happening, they've destroyed many other aspects of their life, Mm -hmm. their children's lives, Mm -hmm. their siblings lives, their parents lives. So I would think that while those things are happening simultaneously, if if the addict then rehabilitates themselves Mm -hmm. and they go back out into the world that they have destroyed Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of the people that they may come and encounter with can trigger them to reuse because they have destroyed these relationships and they can't connect to these people anymore they can but but that's when the i've had enough kicks in right Mm mm-hmm I'll give you an example, right? Mm-hmm. In my recovery, something happened that gave me an immeasurable amount of empowerment that I never even expected to have. But I recognized it as the devil knocking on your door, right? Mm-hmm. I was such in a place where I was trying to become spiritual and I was trying to like, you know, fill my spirits with life and, you know, and just find meaning and enjoyment and in, in just life in itself. Right. And I'm sitting at home. And back when I was using, you know, cocaine, especially when I was like to the point where like I didn't even have money to get it. Right. I was like just doing whatever to get it. It was very rare at that point that I would just come across a large amount of this stuff. Like it was just always a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit of never almost just always enough just to get me to the next one, you know? And, I'm like, you know, whatever. I, I went to I went to rehab. I came out. I'm, you know, I'm, I got some time clean now, and I'm trying to get my life together. And all of a sudden, my doorbell rings. I'm my parent. My parents. I was living with my parents. I go downstairs, and it's this guy that I used to get high with. And he's like, "Yo, what's up, bro?" I was, and I'm like, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And me and this guy, we got along. Like when me and this guy hung out, it was always a good time, right? Never no drama. But I hadn't seen him in a while. It's a real nice guy, always willing to share, never shady. Like if he if he if he, if he had it, you had it, and you had everything he had. Like it was that type of guy. 
I could see why you liked hanging out. I with loved him. hanging out with because I'm the same way. I I'm hello. the same way. If I got it, you got it, and like let's just go, right? Yeah, I that annoys the hell out of me. Yo, about that's you. my thing, right? <laughs> so like you can't put two me you can't put me together with somebody like that because we go all out, right? Yeah. So he shows up at my door and I'm like, yo. And like and he obviously he looks like he's you know, he looks strung out. And I'm like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing? He's like, yo, what's up, dude? How you been, man? I was like, yeah, I was in the area. I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, yeah, you know, I told him what happened. And he was like, oh, wow, that's for Dan. That's, that's good. That's good. He was like, yo, listen. He's like, oh, dude, I was, he, he was like, he basically tells me that he gives me this crazy story, right? He went to shop, right? He went in to go buy something. He had some paraphernalia on him. He stashed it behind the dumpster. When he came back out to get it, he saw something by the dumpster, opened it up, and it was this huge package of Coke. And I mean big. And he didn't know where to go to do it. He wanted to party, and I lived close by, so he came to check me out to see if I was home. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like, this dude robbed somebody. He robbed somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. this was an insane amount of stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, n- like as much as my, as many times as I've always wanted to like for this moment to happen while I was using, mm-hmm. it never did. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm sober and I'm trying to get my life together, here it is at my front door. It literally came knocking. I didn't have to go out and find it. It came to me. And because I was in the spiritual thing, I'm like, yo, this is literally the devil knocking at my door. And I was able to see it as such. And I looked at him and I said, and I could just see, I could see what was about to happen if I let him in the house. I already could envision where this was going to go to and where I would end up. And I was just like, you know, honestly, bro, um, I appreciate you coming by, man. I was like, but, you know, I'm really kind of like on trying to get my, my, my stuff together, bro. And I'm, I'm turning a new leaf in life, bro. You know, and but thank you. Thank you, bro, for coming by. Like, I really appreciate you thinking about me, but I'm I can't. I can't. And he was like, oh, OK, OK. And he was like, all right. He was like, all right, no, no problem. And he left. And when I closed that door. The fact that I was able to say no to that mm-hmm. when in any other time in my life I would have I would have been head first like a soccer star. Right. That empowerment that I felt in that moment is what like set me off to never looking back ever again. Yeah. I felt such a high that I was able to say no to something that I had folded to so many times in my life that it was unmeasurable. It was unmeasurable. And that's why those things are very important. They're, they're, they're the empowerment, the self-worth, to be able to, t- to take your life into your own hands. Unless you're in that position, you're always going to fold. I, One of the things that I picked up when you said that is when you said when you take your life into your own hands. I think maybe why I have such a hard time like kind of swallowing what you're saying is because when you're a parent, it's just not your life that you're responsible for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So my parents not only had to take account for their life, they had to take account for my life. Yes. And it goes a little bit deeper for me. And Uh, that is why I had such anger towards the system that was put in place when it came to rehabilitating an addict Especially an addict with children, small children yes. at that. But um, this, this—I'm sorry, but I just have to—I have to—I have to go back to what I was saying. Yes, 
it, but it still plays to the self-worth. Yeah, no, right? I agree with you on it's that. It's like how, as a parent, if you don't love yourself mm-hmm. enough, then, and, you, and you're irresponsibly making decisions mm-hmm. for your own self, then by nature, I would think that you're going to make irresponsible decisions for the people that you that you're responsible for that you have to care for of course um i think what i'm trying to say is is that the responsibility of of staying clean is is probably even harder for a person that has children because they are trying to focus on being good for themselves and being good for the children yeah well i feel like that can go both ways i feel like that yes in in your sense absolutely Mm -hmm. but in the same sense I feel like that there are people who have that maternal motherly instinct that kicks in where it's just like, no, like my, my children over everything, you know, like I don't care if I have to like suffer, but I will not let my kids suffer. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you know, well, you said some people, you mean some women because men don't have maternal instincts. Um, probably not. But yeah, in a way, in a in a sense, I think that they do. I don't know. Not it's not they wouldn't have maternal paternal they have paternal, paternal yeah. instinct. Yeah, that okay. That's what I meant to say. So I, I think what you're just trying to say is that there are some parents that would say, "No, my child before my yeah. own needs." Yeah. Which I don't think that a a parent should put their child before their own needs, especially when it comes to their health. I think that they should care for their child, but if they are unhealthy, the child should not become come before them getting healthy because if they can't be in a state of health, then they're not going to be able to care for their children. But there's properly. actually but there's people that will do that. No, I and I know this. Yeah. I, I know this to be true. I do I think it's the best way of going. No, nah, it's absolutely not. If you no. can't you, you, and got I'm to, a yeah, parent. you got to take care of yourself first, you know, so that yeah. you can take care of your children for sure. Yeah, and I speak from being a parent. Um I'll be honest, sometimes some of the things that you say it's hard for me to listen to. Yeah, it I, makes me internally I get internally I get angry. I feel like it it's so in my mind it's sometimes so simplistic. It's just like why would you do that? Why couldn't you just wait? like yeah. I think about it on such a more logical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then you and I were talking about why that may be so hard for an addict is because you know now especially depending on what drug they've ch- they've chosen to abuse, they're now walking around with an altered state of mind. Yeah. Even if they are in the process of rehabilitating themselves, even if they have been clean from the drug for a certain amount of time, their brain ha- is still dealing with the ramifications of the abuse of the drug, especially some of the harder ones like heroin and meth and, you know, crack and these type of drugs that really alter the brain. Mm-hmm. Even when you come clean from them, it still takes time for your brain to heal from the abuse. And um, it's you and I were talking about how that can really be an aid in a person still continuing or addict still continuing to make these bad decisions because they're not walking, I guess, with a full deck of cards. Right. And 
I then said to you, I was like, well, that's kind of how I felt. I kind of felt like all this trauma that I experienced, I wasn't walking around with a full deck of cards because my brain was experiencing constant exposure to high levels of stress. So then I wasn't really functioning properly when it came to responding to stress or happiness. It was like, it was totally different. But, um, and then you said something that struck me when we were having this conversation. (laughs) Like, it got me really angry. And you said, um, a person that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Can you remind me exactly, like, how you said it? Refresh my memory slightly a bit about Okay, so we were talking about how when a person is, and when an addict is becoming rehabilitated, they have this lack of self-worth, like you said. Yeah. But because they were addicted to a drug, their ability to make good decisions is, is lower. So when they go back out into society, they have like, I guess, a worser chance of doing better. Whereas the people on the victim end, because they were not affected mentally by a drug, they have a better chance. Okay, so I think that the conversation that we were having was was it was it was um, it was kind of like based off of the the argument of. Why is this type of treatment given to addicts when there's obviously trauma that exists with the people that they that they've affected that mm-hmm. also needs treatment as well? Mm-hmm. And these people are often left to fend for themselves to deal with their own traumas, right? Yeah. Um, and why is there so much resources being put into like rehabilitating addicts and things like that when these people obviously, for, we didn't even say this, but for lack of a better word, don't give a shit about them themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And my answer to that was that when you if you if you kind of like pull back and you look at things on a on a broad spectrum right you don't take don't take one addict take the addicts across the whole world and think about how many people that entails right let's call it a billion for whatever out of 7 billion people right and and on on earth let's call it a billion right mm-hmm. a small percent i mean compared to, in comparison that's a small percent but you have a billion people who not only don't care about themselves, but of also destroying the relationships with the people around them, mm-hmm. right? And they're not, they're not uh, productive members of society. So they have three things that are hindering them from from their own lives. Mm-hmm. As to the people that are that they're affecting. They're, these people are dealing with trauma of having to, you know, being, you know, associated with somebody close to them that, ha- that is addicted to drugs. But those people have a better chance of making this good decisions about themselves and being productive members of society in comparison to the people who are addicted to drugs. Because not, not only are these people lacking self-worth, but they're also chemically imbalanced mm-hmm. in a way where they're being destructive to themselves and the people around them yeah um so yeah that was exactly the conversation and so when you when you when you put the two on a scale and you say okay which one do we try to fix here i mean i think the uh, the answer is obvious because that's the way the the system has been 
constructed around trying to rehabilitate addicts because getting these people back out into society and becoming you know productive members of society is not only better for that person but it ends up being better in most cases i would like to think for the people around them as well yeah and the reason why i had such a problem with that statement is because you said that the people who have experienced the the trauma by the hands of the addicts have a better chance in life because they're not in comparison to the addict in in comparison to the addict um and I know firsthand that that's not true. And I and I didn't even say a better chance. I said they're capable of making better decisions yeah. for themselves yeah. because at at even at the core, at the simplest form of it, they value themselves. I would think more than the actual addict does. No, because 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 the addict is actually being destructive to themselves. Yeah, right? and that is why I know firsthand that that is that statement is invalid. Because I'm not it's not a blanket statement. It's not a saying that it applies to everybody. OK, because there are people who obviously those experiences make them turn to drugs and they become drug users. Oh, yeah. And they throw their lives down the drain. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you is that. That prior to that happening, they they still have the chance the this the ability to not go that route. So you have the drug user who's already gone that route. He's in that position. Mm-hmm. And that the people around them have yet not, have not gone down that road. So the reason why I had an objection to that statement was because um, there is something called the ACE that I've come to understand. And it is a term that stands for adverse childhood experiences. And there is science behind this that has determined that the m- more that a child has adverse childhood experiences which is a multiple of trauma they are more likely to embark on if not the same like lifestyle that their parents or siblings or whoever they are directly a victim of that they are more likely by every additional adverse child experience that they encounter. So there is a podcast that I listened to uh, with, I don't know, maybe like the last year, and it is called, I just want to make sure I get this right, uh, The Personalities Hacker Podcast. And there was this one episode where... They talked about how childhood trauma impacts your relationships. And there was a relationship expert on the show. His name was Bruce Music. And he talked about these ACE markers. That's a cool name. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's spelled M-U-Z-I-K, but it's still pronounced music. Um, he is a relationship expert. And he talks about these ACE markers. And then I remember like listening to the podcast. And I was like, where have I heard this before? These ACE markers. And then I remember that like a couple years prior to that, I had listened to a TED talk with a doctor named Nadine Burke Harris. And she is a um, physician that specializes in, you know, uh, a pediatric pediatrics. And I watched this TED talk where she talked about how childhood trauma affects lifelong health. I was like, fuck, that's where I heard it from before. So anyway, I wound up listening to the podcast. And he 
this uh, relationship expert, Bruce, he then gives this questionnaire of one through 10. And you can find this ACE markers questionnaire on the CDC website. And what you do is for every adverse childhood experience that you have experienced, you give yourself a mark. And there are one through 10. And for every time you give yourself a mark, like maybe that you have one or two, three to four, four or more, it increases your likelihood of experiencing or becoming part of alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, unhealthy lifestyle, you know, like um, in addition to having other health issues like um, heart concerns, you become more susceptible based on these traumatic experiences that you had as a child. Mm -hmm. So when you say to me that a, a person that is directly affected through a person that's an addict, that they have more of a capability, I know that they don't, especially a child, because our brains are altered. Because we are constantly in this state of fight or flight, especially if we experience the trauma repeatedly. So the example that the doctor gave Nadine Harris was, if you're in a forest and you see a bear, you're like, fuck, your brain goes into immediate fight or flight. You either are going to run or you're going to try to fight the bear. One or two things happens. You get the surge of adrenaline. You get the cortisol. It all comes in and your body decides what it wants to do. And the example that she gave was imagine that you've seen that bear every night for, for you know, a decade of time. Your body's in this constant state of stress. So then the only thing that your body knows how to do is like, push it out in other ways and the reason why this doctor um, Nadine was looking so deeply into these type of um, things that she was noticing in children because she was getting a lot of children in her office that were being deemed as potential ADHD children you know hypertension um, uh, I, I, I think it's uh, a, I don't know if they actually use the term ADD anymore like um, attention deficit or hyper hyper you know hyperactivity disorder she was getting a lot of kids and she was finding out that these kids actually didn't have ADHD or ADD they were experiencing repeated bouts of trauma and that immediately made me think back to when I was a child, how my report cards and my teachers would always say the same thing about me. I was very bright, but I lacked self-control. I could not sit still. I constantly talked. I was very fidgety. Because for one time in my life when I was in school, I felt safe. I felt like I didn't have to worry about like what I was going to eat, you know, like if there wasn't going to be anybody there for me because in school I felt like I was being cared for somewhat, right? So my body wasn't in this constant state of stress. I was actually kind of a, like a little bit more relaxed. Now, what does my body do with all this cortisol and adrenaline that's running through it because I've been in that state for so long? I start I can't sit still. I can't stop talking. Mm-hmm. I can't stop fidgeting. And now these teachers are looking at me like what the fuck's wrong with this kid? She's hyperactive. 
She doesn't, she doesn't, no, I was fucking traumatized. So my ability to make decisions as I got older were not as great as you would think that they were because I, just because I wasn't exposed to drugs or because I wasn't abusing drugs, my brain was altered because of the trauma. Um, it was really hard for me to fight through some of those experiences. You know, um, I felt like I was very odd at times. You know, when I would read my report card and it would say that I lacked self-control. I used to think I was bad. You know, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I just be quiet? Or why can't I just fucking sit still? I want to kind of be like everybody else. I couldn't put two and two together. You know why? Because I was a fucking kid. And nobody was helping me understand what the fuck was wrong with me. So this is why I get so angry when I hear about, you know, all these things about how an addict is being rebuilt. I needed to be rebuilt because I was destroyed as a child. And now as an adult, I'm like piecing these things together, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like I think maybe some people are better equipped. Maybe people that are not as close as I was to my parents. You know, I was I was their child. Maybe if you're their parent, I, I don't know if you don't have like this. I was dependent on them. Well, that's what that, but that's what I, what I was saying, by, by stating that, it's some people. Mm -hmm. You know, this is it's not a blanket statement. Yeah. You know what I mean? But to some degree, there are people that in that unfortunate scenario or in that fortunate situation they were better off their life ended up being the the better portion of that whole experience because they were able to make better decisions for themselves than the person who self-destructed yeah you know what's so interesting to me when i listen to that podcast um the personality hackers i don't even remember how i came across it but you know i'm always kind of like looking around yeah you're always going deep diving into like you know <laughs> now <types>. i am <laughs> and um, when i found this podcast and i'm listening to it and this uh relationship expert bruce music is like giving these like excuse me questions and it's it's 10 of them and he's like and for every question that i give if th you've experienced this give yourself a check and i remember i was on the treadmill while i was doing this and i'm like Okay, one, check, two, check, three, check. Fuck, this guy gets to like seven. I've given myself a check for everyone at that mm. point. He gets to 10. I checked all 10 of them. And just to give you a brief understanding of what some of these adverse child experiences are and the markers that they look for is neglect um, in the home uh in like different aspects. So like maybe you weren't being fed all the time. Maybe your parents weren't there all the time. Was there physical abuse? Was there someone in your family that was incarcerated? Were there times that you felt like your life was threatened? Were you unsafe? Did you ever try to attempt suicide or someone in your... Like these are the things that they're questioning. And I answered yes to every single one of them. All 10 of them. So then once he's done asking the questions. Because um, he was a guest on the show. He then asked the two hosts, all right, how many did you have? And the one host was like, oh, I didn't have any. Hmm. I was like, wow, that must be fucking amazing. And then the one girl, the other host, I think she had two. And then, the, you know, this relationship expert starts to go into how these multiple 
adverse child experiences can affect a person in their adult life. And then the other doctor that I listened to on her TED Talk, Nadine, she talked about how these adverse childhood experiences can affect a person's health. And how you're more likely to develop potentially cancer or potentially like heart disease. I was like, what the fuck? That's crazy. Meanwhile, I'm running on the treadmill like, God, this... I can't that'll, believe I'm not in a gutter somewhere. I don't throw off your workout. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> I immediately sent it to a friend that um, her and I share similar experiences. And I think she had nine. Mm. And um, I really wish and um, I hope that one day I'm in the position to give people that help. I hope that one day I, I can so s- create some foundation or something that helps children and adolescents and young adults affected by drug addiction, neglect, abuse, domestic violence, all of these things that create deep trauma in in children sure. and, and young adults. I hope that one day I can like, you know, create something for that because I'm and I would also love if anybody that is listening or watching us knows of some sort of um, avenue that there is this type of help. I would love, especially if it's free. (laughs) Well, somebody's (laughs) paying for it. Nothing for free. Well, I I mean, I feel like there's such a focus on getting people rehabilitated that are addicts that um, there's a lot of government funded programs, which I think that there should be. You know, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. But I also think that there should be help for people that yeah. that that need it, because um, I damn well know that looking back, I definitely I needed that help, and um, I wish that it was afforded to me at that time. Maybe I would be mentally better off than I am right now. I'm not in the worst position, but there are times that I find myself struggling mentally Mm -hmm. with the things that i went through and wondering i still wonder at times why you know like i don't have the answers because i'm not a medical professional or a psychological professional that someone can tell me this is why that happened but in talking to you i better understand the psyche behind an addict and it doesn't it lessens my anger. Well, good. I'm glad I was able to help you out in that way. <laughs> Evo was like, um, I'm glad that my uh, drug addiction has helped you. In hey, some- listen, if it can help anybody, I'm more than willing to share my story. You know that. I'm, I always try to, if I can take the time to speak to somebody who I feel like that they're having yeah. trouble um, navigating through a certain portion of their life and it's something that I may have experienced that, or that I can relate to, I'll be more than happy to share my experience and how I made it through that experience in hopes that they may find guidance. You know what's interesting? Um, I think you and I briefly talked about how we got back together and how you at that time, uh, the second time around that we started dating, you were doing drugs at the time, the second time. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, you kind of had to find your way. Long story short, you and I got back together and you were kind of like, you know, you had obviously destroyed a good portion of your life. So Mm -hmm. like together we rebuilt that. Mm -hmm. And someone commented on it and said that we are potentially trauma bonded. Mm. And that it's, there's actually some sort of name for it. And I think the person said, yeah, I think someone's, yeah. Um, 
I think someone said that it's called fawning. I had to just look at my notes really quick. Mm. That you and I potentially can be bonded through trauma. I don't feel like that. That's a, that's name suits that fawning. Yeah, fawning. It just sounds like it sounds. I could be wrong, it, but it, um, I mean, you could be right. It's there's 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 obviously words that mean things that the word doesn't really suit yeah. the meaning, and I feel like that that like falls when someone says that. something is hot, but they actually mean that it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wonder if th- that holds any truth to us if we are trauma bonded. That's actually something yeah. that I wanted to dig into like, a little bit. When you bit. say fawning, I just I think of fawn, a baby deer. Like I just feel like it has yeah. something to do with like a baby deer, not trauma. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. those, are, those are like two opposite ends of the spectrum. Maybe it's called fawning because it's like the Bambi effect. I guess maybe I you don't know, know when Bambi loses his mother. So, you believe that? Well, these people believe that potentially we potentially, are trauma bonded. Hmm, interesting. Because I am the result of two drug addict parents and then I ended up with a person who was an addict. I don't know. I don't feel like that was it at the beginning. It wasn't. No. It was not because when she we... She was electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> that's literally what went through my head when I said that. <laughs> I'm like, did I just really say electric? I sure did. It's okay because it was electric. <laughs> that shit was. Um, it still is electric. It white noise static. Just yeah, like, right? Yeah. How many times did I pinch your butt was, in the kitchen in the great. morning? I'm just like, like matter of fact, this morning you, I was walking hey, past hey, you. Hey, you don't all, give away our house secrets. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was walking past you this morning, and you were at the refrigerator. I was like, bang. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're trauma bonded. That's something that we need to look into because I want to understand what is what what is like the like what is the definition behind mm-hmm. it. What does it actually mean, and how does that happen? Because it, it could be true. Because people are like. How the fuck did she come from two drug addict parents and then wind up with a drug addict and have like forgiveness for you destroying your life and willing to build it with you, even though I came from that? I think some people would think that I would. That would be the furthest thing that I wanted. So I think I think the the the, the 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 key the key point in that is that because we dated prior to that and you knew you knew who I was as a person, you knew I was about my shit. And he was like, "This dude, he's a little off right now, but we we need to get this motherfucker back together because uh, he's leaning a little to the some, left. There's something there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start him off with a V8. Here you go. Take that real quick. <laughs> the V8s are disgusting. <laughs> this is nasty as hell. Oh my god, but there's so much sodium leaning. in them. I was walking sideways like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those commercials. Have you had a V8 you had today? Yeah, a V8 today. <laughs> like, who, yeah, who the fuck thought of that fucking? Listen, those commercials worked because I remember genius. I tried. Genius. It was genius. I tried to drink a V8 once because I saw those commercials. I was like, oh, this shit is gonna get me right. And then I looked yeah. at the back of the can. I was like, oh my god, it's like five. Yeah. There's like six hundred milligrams of sodium. This this shit is gonna get me bloated if as there's fuck. there's anything that can really like. <laughs> illustrate if you, are you feeling off today you, it's a person walking sideways <laughs> we've got the drink to fix you I'm fucking marketing genius this is, mm-hmm. i love it i love it for sure um but that actually brings us to the end of the show i'm glad that we ended it on a on a laugh on note a, on a light note because yeah. that shit was heavy yeah that shit was heavy there were moments that you were talking my eyes were crossing <laughs> yeah we went deep we went deep for a second there you know but listen this is a uh, drinks with a splash of controversy is what we do yes uh and uh, I would like to thank everybody for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Whether you're listening or you're watching us, we appreciate you always and forever. Always and forever. Until our next show. Peace out. Peace out.